Well, welcome again to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is Johnny Brower, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to be in worship with you this morning here in the chapel, upstairs in the loft at the Well Cafe. Welcome to all of you. If this is your first time here, maybe first time in a long time uh, to this service, Pastor David normally preaches this service, uh, but he is preaching for Pastor Mike while Pastor Mike is gallivanting around uh, doing who knows what now. Uh, so I... <laughs> He's on vacation and he needs it. So <laughs> uh, I'm honored to be here with you uh, to share a message with you today. If you would please take this time to turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers. That's how you know it's going to be a party this morning. You showed up to church on the right day. We are in the book of Numbers. Uh, it is a book that is the fourth book of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, and that's the best title they could come up with for that book. That's the one that they thought, well, I guess if they get around to it, this is the one that they'll read at some point in time. But despite its reputation, there's actually some really good stuff here in the book of Numbers that we'll get to in just a little bit. So if you brought your Bible with you, Numbers chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, also, uh, if you do not have a Bible with you, there is a Bible available, available to you under the seat here in the chapel. There's also a rack of Bibles in the back center of the loft there, so if you need one. Uh, you can take one of those. In that blue Bible, uh, you can find our passage today on page 224. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you today because you don't own a Bible, I'd like for you to just take that blue Bible with you. Please accept that as our gift to you because we believe everybody should own a Bible. So you just take that one with you as you leave. So today we're continuing in this series that we started a couple weeks ago called Unlikely Heroes. And we do this because we love hero stories. Everybody likes a good hero story. Proof of this is the fact that each and every year, I think, 20 new hero movies get made, and they make mountains of money. We know this, and we, we all love superheroes. I love superheroes. I grew up loving superheroes. I read comic books of uh, X-Men and Spider-Man were some of my favorite. I watched the cartoons and the movies. Uh, I can even see the same fascination with superheroes uh, in my four-year-old son. Ever since we've known him, he's just been drawn to these superheroes, and, and partly because of the explosions and the action and how cool they all look. Uh, but also, uh, I think he's, he's connecting with the themes of the superhero movies. I think he's connecting with these ideas of good versus evil and justice and sacrifice. Uh, he loves to watch the movie, and he picks up on the fact that the bad guy, even though the bad guy may be really strong and, and really smart, that somehow good always triumphs. And isn't that what we really love about hero stories? That in the face of great adversity and overwhelming danger and seemingly insurmountable odds, the hero displays courage and self-sacrifice for the greater good. There's another word in the title of this series that I think is really important for us to examine, and that's the word unlikely. Because if the only heroes that we have are super, then we have only to just wait around for a hero to show up when something needs saving. I could never be the hero in the situations that I found in the comic books that I read. Uh, I, I wasn't born with super mutant powers like the X-Men. I didn't come from some distant planet like Superman. I have yet to be bitten by a radioactive spider, so I don't know if that's going to change anything either. I love heroes, but we have a tendency, even in our real-life heroes, to attribute some rare and unique quality to that person that we do not possess, something we don't have. And we look at ourselves, and, and we question whether or not we could ever be a hero with all of our flaws and 
how small we are. There's nothing really special about us. Uh, what could we do that would be so heroic? That's why that word's important. Pastor David has shared with you the past couple weeks a book that he's read recently uh, called Resilience. It's written by an ex-Navy SEAL named Eric Greitens. Uh, and it's a collection of letters that he wrote to another former SEAL that was going through a hard time, was finding his life sort of falling apart. And he was struggling with PTSD, uh, growing dependency on alcohol. And he wrote these letters to him and they, he collected them in a book. And one of my favorite parts of that book is this. The most important thing to let go of, the thing so many of us struggle to let go of, is the idea that our heroes are flawless. We have to put that idea away if only because such a view of heroes begins to limit our view of our lives. If we believe that our heroes are flawless, we begin to believe that we, being flawed, are incapable of heroism. What we're talking about in this series are people from the Bible who are regular, ordinary, flawed people just like you and me, who found themselves living heroic lives. And we want to examine their heroism to see uh, how a life can become significant when it's lived in step with God's call on our lives. And we want to examine their unlikeliness so that we can find ourselves in that narrative. We can see how it applies to us, and we can see how we can be heroes as well. So, so far, uh, we've heard about uh, David, King David, and Esther. Uh, And if you've missed any of those, I invite you to check out our website or our podcast on iTunes. You can catch up on some of the sermons there. But this week, we're going to be talking about a guy whose name and story is so big that if somebody has never stepped foot in church ever before in their life, they know this person. They know the story, a person whose name and story has inspired liberation movements across the globe and throughout history. A name and a story that has been adapted into film as early as the 1920s and as recent as 2014. That's almost a hundred year span of uh, movies being made about this person. And that person is Moses. Moses. And here's the backstory. If you actually are one of those people that have never heard of Moses before, uh, and you have no idea what, what's so great about Moses, I'm going to do the quickest recap of Moses' story uh, possible. I've invited the Guinness Book of World Records people here to time this for me. Thanks for the few chuckles. Uh, the Hebrew people were living under the oppressive rule of the Egyptians, and though they slaved away in harsh conditions, they continued to increase in number, and the Pharaoh became increasingly fearful of an eventual uprising. So he ordered that every newborn male be killed. But when Moses was born, his mother placed him in a basket and sent him down the river in hopes of saving his life. When found by the Pharaoh's daughter, he was raised in privilege as an Egyptian, but after witnessing firsthand the oppression and brutality imposed on the Hebrew people, Moses lashed out in anger and killed an Egyptian taskmaster, and fearing for his life, he fled. Later, Moses hears the call of God to go back and lead the Hebrew people out of slavery and oppression and into freedom. Moses doesn't want to do it because Moses doesn't think he's capable, but he eventually, reluctantly, answers the call. He heads back and demands that Pharaoh, what, let my people go, you know, Charlton Heston, you can hear him. Uh, And as you know, it took some convincing, but Pharaoh eventually let them go. Now, on their way out, they ran up against the Red Sea, and fearing that Pharaoh would catch up to them and take them back into slavery, 
God, through Moses, parted the Red Sea. And Moses and the people walked out of Egypt and walked out of slavery. Now, we can remember that story so well. We heard it probably when we were kids. You hear it now. You've seen the movies. The Ten Commandments comes on at least once a year around Easter time uh, that we get to see. And when we think of Moses, we think of these moments. The hero. And that's a pretty good story. <laughs> that's a pretty good story of somebody who th- thought themselves incapable, incapable and, and, and unlikely and walked into Egypt and challenged this empire and walked these people out of slavery. What's amazing about the story of Moses is how easily we remember the successes of Moses and how easily we forget how frustrating this journey was and how frustrating the rest of Moses' journey was. We forget the failures. Moses, the entire span of his leadership was filled with successes and failures, constant frustrations. And when there were moments of his greatest successes, you can think of walking across the Red Sea. You can think of coming down after meeting God with the Ten Commandments. You can think of all these great things that Moses had done. And they were all immediately met with disappointment because the people had forgotten the promise. Over and over again, Moses' greatest successes were cut short by disasters and disappointments. It's easy to remember Moses' story as leading God's people straight out of Egypt and into the promised land. It's almost how we think of it. Once they cross the Red Sea, that they're free. They're out of slavery. That they walked right out of slavery and directly into freedom. But that story cuts out probably the most important part of the story. That way of thinking about the story cuts out this place called the wilderness, And it cuts out the very truth that is the basis of what we're going to talk about today. And it's this, that the road to freedom goes through the wilderness. The road to freedom goes through the wilderness. And the wilderness is a tough place to be. Now I have to admit, growing up and for an an embarrassingly large portion of my life, When I heard the story of Moses and when I heard that Moses and the people were wandering around in the wilderness, I I pictured something like this. Now, there's a picture, I think. There it is. Something like that. That's what I pictured the wilderness to be because that's what the wilderness was to me growing up. Now, that wasn't my backyard, but growing up in rural Texas, there were woods. You know, there were trees and there were briar patches and there were rocks and that was the wilderness, And when I would read the story of Moses, I thought, that's the wilderness. Well, what's so bad about that? What's what's so hard about, why are the people always complaining and always wanting to go back into slavery because it's so bad out here? That can't be that bad. I mean, I I grew up when I was younger and I read this book called The Hatchet. Did anybody read this book or read this book to their kids? Yeah, that's right. You know the book, The Hatchet, uh, about this teenager that was in a plane wreck in the wilderness in Canada and has only this tore up jacket and a hatchet uh, that his mom gave him and he survived all by himself like what's the big deal Moses got like 600,000 people like can you not make it you know we watch tv shows now where people this is a piece of cake what was so hard about this wilderness why were people always constantly wanting to go back into slavery why were they complaining so much well it's because this is actually a more accurate picture of what the wilderness would have looked like for them. 
This is a more accurate picture, and this looks much, much harder. Now, looking at this, I could see how venturing into this wilderness would be terrifying. I could understand that why the people would complain, and, and I could understand why people may forget about the brutality of slavery, because at least they knew what that was like. That was familiar to them, but walking out into this and not knowing what lies ahead or how they're going to survive. No one knows what to expect out in the wilderness. And I begin to understand Moses' desperation and weariness. Now, there are many times where the people plead to go back to Egypt throughout their time out there. And and, and I'm going to read you a, a portion of that now from Numbers chapter 11. This isn't the first time. This is actually after many, many, many times of the people complaining to Moses. So we're going to start here in Numbers 11, beginning at verse Four. Now what you have to know as I set up this verse is that when, when the people were living in that wilderness that you saw, uh, the desert looking wilderness, uh, that doesn't look like there's much there to feed you. And, and God would provide this, very, this miracle food called manna. Each and every morning people would walk out and there it was provided for them. Can you imagine that? I mean, anybody here go grocery shopping and you think I have like four things on my list to get at the grocery store? You walk into Target and like five hours later you come out with like everything but the things you went in for. You know, this, this like the groceries were delivered to your doorstep. You walked out and there was the manna, your, the, your food you needed for the day, each and every day. What a miracle that was. Well, people apparently got tired of that. And here in verse 4 we hear, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites, again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost? Also the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. I mean, you know things have gotten bad when that's when you're craving is onions and garlic. Like, I just, I just want to eat onions and garlic. <laughs> this miracle food that God provided that was there for the Israelites, and they didn't want it anymore, and they, and they were tired of it, and they complained, and they forgot how terrible it was in Egypt, and they began to imagine these feasts that apparently they were eating uh, when they were in slavery in Egypt, and, and going back into slavery started to sound enticing Again, and you can imagine just the sheer frustration of Moses. That he's worked so hard to bring people to this place. God is providing this miracle, this amazing act to provide for these people. And he hears this over and over and over again. So hearing this, Moses responds in this way. Verse 11. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you burden me with all of these people? Did I conceive of these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing at me. Give us meat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. Right, that's pretty funny. 
If I have found favor in your eyes, if I have found favor in your eyes, please just kill me and do not let me face my own ruin. Moses has clearly grown weary and is ready to give up. The people he's trying to lead are tired and they're frustrated. He's tired and frustrated. The people in Moses have both lost sight of God's promise of freedom, whether it's because they've forgotten about it altogether or maybe because they haven't forgotten, but they just feel like it's too hard. It's just too tough, and we give up. They want to go back, and Moses just wants to die. The road to freedom goes through the wilderness, and the wilderness is a tough place to be. And often, the wilderness feels tougher than the slavery. A few months after getting married, Holly and I took a class that our church offers called Financial Peace. Now, this is a program that's designed by Dave Ramsey to help people uh, take control of their money that they feel like they've maybe lost control of. um, Or uh, maybe you haven't lost control of, but get a, a better understanding of how to make your money work for you and get a biblical understanding of how we treat our money. And I wouldn't say that Holly and I were in crippling debt by any means, but we were definitely slaves to our bills. We would wait for those paychecks to roll in, and then we would immediately see most of it just go out to somebody else to pay for things that we don't know what we bought, to pay for bills. And we longed for freedom. Anybody that's been in debt uh, knows what that bondage and slavery feels like. And the longing to just be free. We long for that freedom. And during the nine-week course uh, of financial peace, we found out that that freedom was possible. But that freedom was going to take work. We weren't simply going to be free because we decided we wanted to be free. It didn't happen at the snap of a fingers. So over the next months and years, we worked really hard. Strict budgeting, simple living was the name of the game for us. And it was tough. And in many ways, our new life, our new life of strict budgeting and simple living, our new life that was the path to freedom that we were walking down was tougher than our former life. It was much less fun. (laughs) It was hard. And there were times that we were tempted to turn back, that we would complain and we would whine and we would lament. But thanks to the encouragement of others and God's promise of freedom, we persevered through that. And now being out from under that debt and looking back, we can't imagine ever going back there again. We can't imagine what would it be like to live the way we used to live because we are no longer slaves anymore to that. We are free And we're never going back that way again. Part of those times where I would kind of get discouraged or, you know, uh, disappointed in our process of of gaining freedom uh, there, I would listen to Dave Ramsey has a podcast that's excerpts from his radio show. And it's mostly people that were calling in, working the system, that have gone through financial peace and and were budgeting and doing all these things. and, and, And you would hear them and I would hear their stories and their stories were so much bigger than ours ever was. And part of me was just thankful that ours was uh, comparatively smaller, but to hear their story, 
the dedication and the perseverance and the strength that they found to keep going uh, inspired me. And then you would hear people that called in that had finally reached that point of freedom where they were debt-free and they were calling in to tell Dave Ramsey that we're debt-free. And, and one of the, the, the traditions that they have on that show is when that was happening, they would just yell at the, top of, at the top of their lungs, freedom. And I would hear that, and I would also often listen to it while I was at the gym and running on the treadmill. And, you know, I'd want to do fist pumps while I'm running, and I was just afraid that I might fall on that treadmill. But it was just so inspiring to hear these people that were in these seemingly insurmountable situations that were just drowning in debt, that were slaves. They had zero control of their life anymore. And through prayer and encouragement and hard work, they, they walked through that wilderness and came out on the other side in the promised land of freedom. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you're finding yourself in that place. Maybe you resonate with that idea. Maybe you look at your finances and you think, I don't see any way out of this. I have no idea what to expect. I don't know where to go. And you're paralyzed for fear of how to get to freedom. Maybe slavery for you is not debt. Maybe it's a broken relationship. There's a, a spouse or a friend or a family member, a relationship that is just distant, that has grown cold. That something has happened that has broken that relationship, and it looks like there's a divide that cannot be stretched, that it cannot be crossed between the two of you. There's so much work to do to repair the relationship that you don't know where to start, and it actually feels easier just to leave it broken or maybe give up on it all together because you can see the wilderness, but you can't see the freedom on the other side, and you're fearful of what it will take to get there, so you don't even leave. You just stay in, in the slavery. Maybe slavery is an addiction. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, pornography, unhealthy relationships, inappropriate relationships that you have in your life. And every day of your life is lived for those things. Those things actually have control over you when you thought you had control over them and they will not let you go. You are held captive. You are in bondage because of these things. And maybe you're afraid to leave them because you don't want to walk through the wilderness. Or maybe you decided you did want to leave. You, you wanted to be free and you ventured out into the wilderness. And when you got out there, you found out that it was really hard out there. That the wilderness was tough. And though you longed for freedom, you thought it was just going to be easier if I just go back. If I just head back to Egypt because I cannot stand it out here any longer and I don't know how long I'm going to have to be here. The road to freedom goes through the wilderness, and the wilderness is a really tough place to be. We see this in the story of Moses, where the people are struggling out there, and Moses is struggling. It's tough. Moses didn't even want to do this in the first place, but he reluctantly went, took on this mantle of leadership led the people out, and over and over again, it's finding out that this wilderness stuff is really, really tough. But the one thing we can learn from this, we can learn from Moses, 
is that even in his despair and his doubt, that he reaches out to God. Even in this situation where he's just telling God that he's, he's done, like he's turning in his resignation. I, I've, I've brought him this far. You can raise somebody else, uh, somebody else up to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't want to do it in the first place, and I, I definitely don't want to do it now. I'm done. Moses reaches out to God. And what God does in the following verses, God tells Moses first to gather 70 people, 70 capable people to stand with you and share that burden of leadership. Surround yourself with people that will help you carry this load. They're not going to carry all of it for you, but they will help you. And then God also says, tell the people to get ready because tomorrow you will eat meat. And if you continue reading it, it's actually quite humorous where God is saying, you're, you're not going to eat meat for a day or, or five days. You're going to eat so much meat that it's like falling out of your nose. Like that's how much you're going to eat. You want it. You asked for it. You got it. And that's what's going to happen. God's going to provide something outside of Moses' power. But in verse 21, Moses responds, but Moses said to God, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if the flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Moses still isn't trusting this. He's not believing. He thinks these people can't be satisfied. He thinks there's no hope here. He really just wants to give up. But the Lord answers Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. The road to freedom goes through the wilderness and the wilderness is tough. But what we learn from Moses is that again and again, he turns to God when he is in need of direction, when he's in need of encouragement or energy to keep pressing on toward freedom. And when Moses' strength begins to fail, God's strength is big enough and stands in the gap. And when Moses is overwhelmed with the task, God says, you do not have to do this alone. You don't have to be alone. There are those that will share your burden. My hope for you is that if you find yourself in the midst of slavery and bondage, you feel captive, you feel stuck or controlled by the situations around your life, maybe something that has happened to you or maybe something that you've brought into your life that is now controlling you, that you find the courage, that you find the courage to step out of that and onto the road of freedom that goes through the wilderness. It's going to be tough, but it's going to be worth it. I hope you find that courage, and I hope you know that you are never alone through that, that God is always with you, and then there are people around you. There are people all around you right here that want to walk with you. You are never alone, and maybe you're here, and maybe you're on the other side of that now, Maybe you have ventured through the wilderness and you found yourself in the promised land, that you're on the other side, that you are enjoying freedom. I pray that you have eyes to see and a heart for those that are struggling 
whether they're in Egypt or in the wilderness, and that you be that presence in their life that comes alongside them to share the burden and to encourage. Let us pray. Gracious God of hope and of love and of freedom, we pray to you now a prayer of thanks for your unending love and grace and for your presence with us in our lives even when we don't feel you. God, there are those of us in this room that are struggling. We find ourselves in the midst of slavery. We are in Egypt, God. We are oppressed. We feel controlled. God, we feel out of control. We pray for the courage, God, to step out of that and into the wilderness, to follow you, God, out of Egypt. We pray in that time, God, that, we, that your spirit strengthen, strengthens us, God, that we may persevere when the times get tough, that we find those around us that will support us and share our burden, God, and that we will always know and be assured of your presence. God, there are those of us in this room that know your freedom, they know the toughness of the wilderness, but they have come out on the other side. We are thankful, God, for your presence with us through that. And we pray now for the eyes to see those that could use our presence and our encouragement. Work through us, God. May our presence be a manifestation of your presence. May our love be a manifestation of your love. And may we help those who need the encouragement and the strength when they feel like they have no more. It is in your name we pray. Amen.